G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Mann. And today I'm excited to be bringing you my Perth property market update for the quarter where I'm asking the question, has Perth been forgotten? I'm going to go into the underlying uh, stats and fundamentals of both the Perth rental and sale market, what I'm actually seeing out there in the market as well. And most importantly, I'm going to go through the factors that are affecting the market, as well as my crystal ball for the year ahead. So jam-packed episode, can't wait to share it with you. Let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here's your host, Jared Mann. So let's get stuck into things by diving into the sale market straight off. Now, the number of properties for sale has hit an almost all-time low in the 13-odd years that I've been tracking things, which is incredibly important to show just how tight a market is. We're at just 7,913 properties. The equilibrium's often been spoken about at 12 to 13,000. And in our worst times, when our market was incredibly soft, we hit as high of 16,600 properties on the market for sale. So pretty much under half that for sale now compared to when we were in our real soft market back in March 2019s when we hit that peak of properties for sale. So that's continued to trend tighter and tighter. And unlike the other states, this is not an artificial tightness where whereby in the other states people have been had continuous lockdowns, they've been continuously fearful of selling their properties. And that has artificially kept their markets very tight and undersupplied. Here, there's been a free-flowing, um, you know, supply. We've been, you know, business as usual with uh, living in our little COVID bubble from the rest of uh, the world. <laughs> and we've really enjoyed a great quality of life and a great normality when it comes to our, our sale market. So you really can't compare what's happened here with, what's happening over east uh, well we can compare and it's been very different so over the last six months we've had a 4.7 percent decrease and we're slightly up on a year ago at 1.2 percent higher than a year ago but very marginal and we've hit, hit a new low after trending upwards across spring a bit the overall trajectory is definitely still downwards now with the number of properties sold, which is the demand side of the equation, that trend has continued upwards as well. So great to see that the demand is also increasing. And we hit a, a relatively new high at 1,094 sales a week in February. And this was only surpassed by certain times in when we had those crazy building grants where we had those massive outliers with uh, 1,300 odd sales in, in the weeks of the building grants being announced and taking full effect. So very encouraging again to see that the demand week on week is continuing to trend upwards. And uh, when I consider that the most important things are supply and demand, we've got some really solid fundamentals uh, existing in our market for more growth ahead. And we're going to touch on the other factors that will impact this later. 
but in terms of just supply and demand, things are looking very good. And that's 9.9% increase since July last year in the number of weekly sales. And it's a 33% increase since February last year. That should be February 21. So amazing to see just how much it's increased uh, year on year, 33% up on a year ago. That's a massive number. So uh, things are looking very good from a solid demand side. Now, the inventory, which is the amount of when we compare the supply of properties and the, the demand for properties, how many months of supply we've got in the sales cupboard, if you want to picture it that way. Now, the, the, the lower this number, the tighter the overall market is and the less overall inventory we've got. So we hit a high at uh, when, when all the land came on at 10.5 months of inventory and it ended up getting soaked, soaked up very quickly um, and that was in response to the building grants. But we've continued to drift down and down and down and we've hit a new low record of 1.81 months. So just nearly two, just around two months of supply and all the properties on the market will be taken up if the the number kept getting sold as high as it is now. So that's very encouraging, showing that there's fundamentally we've we've got the tightest market now than we've ever had on my record anyway. <laughs> so um, when we then look at the median house price, we've been drifting up from our low at about 475. We're now at 525. So that's you know about a 12% odd gain. Um, since June 2020, when we hit that low, um, I expect that it will continue to drift up over this year, and we'll go into some more specific predictions on on prices later. Now, the unit uh, median has continued to drift up as well. We're currently at 415,000, and I did see the volume of sales of units tick up a bit in the September quarter, but it was a little bit flatter in the December quarter, and uh, I was sort of hoping that the number of transactions for units would have kept up and been a bit higher, uh, but that hasn't really eventuated yet. And I think the key thing for units is going to be the opening of the borders because very at the other points of booms in the past, when we've had that uh, international and interstate migrants, a lot of the international migrants do favour higher density and are more accustomed to it and it's a lower entry point and they like to be in prime areas where they can easily get around uh, because often they often don't have cars and other things to start with and there can be a lot of students in that or parents paying for their students. So um, I expect the units to get a real kick when we finally get these uh, international migrants coming in with the borders now being open. So watch this space for units especially. And the land uh, median house price has continued to move up as well. We're now at 253000 It hasn't moved up massively, but it has been trending upwards and continues to. So there's not a huge number of land sales. And, and what I find in the um, inner premium areas is that the building grants actually took a lot of that land that was sitting around away and unlike the outer areas that have got more land to come on, the inner areas are very tightly supplied for land. So when land does come on, it tends to sell quick and set new um, price records, even though there's not as many people looking to build because of the building industry still being very jammed up and very uh, costly and 
takes a long time. So land's holding its holding its own still, especially in uh, established areas. Then when we look at our average selling days, we've actually hit a equal all time low on the, the time that I've been tracking, and we're we're at sixteen days on market, which is incredibly tight. So all the fundamental indicators are showing that our market is in exceptional shape and uh, should experience growth. What other ingredients are we missing? Well, potentially missing the confidence that some of the eastern states have had. We've been missing uh, immigration in the mix, which the borders will remedy, but we our run may come a little too late with uh, interest rates starting to increase, and we'll go through that more in a minute. Now, the Perth rental market. So... Uh, rental vacancy rate has also hit an all-time low in the time that I've been tracking things since uh, 2013 odd. We've hit 0.7%, which is just so tight. Um, And that's definitely going to get tighter when the borders open because a lot of uh, new migrants to the state will rent first and then buy second. So look, when it's this tight, yes, we're getting... uh, increases in uh, rental prices every time a property's leased and every time our, we do our six-monthly rent reviews. But it's not fun for tenants because, uh, you know, we're getting 10 applications, sometimes 20 applications before we've even opened the property. We're putting it higher to the market each time. People are then bidding. We're using a from pricing generally when the area is in demand and we're getting people bidding over the asking price even higher. And then we've got multiple applications before we even do the first viewing. And look, it really is a landlord's market when it comes to renting and it's only going to get worse in the shorter term. And it's really tough for tenants to find a place to move to. So I do feel for them when um, when things are this tight. We can still have increases in rental price without it being this tight. Uh, generally, when we're below 3% vacancy, we've got pressure on rental prices. 2%, we've got you know maximum pressure and you'll still see strong increases so i expect this to flow through to higher rental prices in the coming six to 12 months now just to give you some perspective on how tight this rental market is we've had a 41 percent decrease in our vacancy rate over the last six months and a 12 percent vacancy rate over the last year so the last year is more relevant to look at because it takes into account seasonal just changes so yeah, twelve percent tighter than last year. Now the median house rental price stuck at four fifty for a good five six months there, and I was wondering, you know, had this capped out because our previous high that I've ever recorded was four eighty. Now the monthly data is showing me that we're back at four seventy, so we've had an increase, and I'm sure the quarterly data will confirm that increase. And um, based on what I've just said, I expect this is going to push past our previous high of 480 in the coming three to six months. And we could be up at, you know, $500 per week at least before the end of the year, I'd expect. So we've had a 14.6% increase in the rental price over the last year, which is pretty considerable. Now I've got a new stat that I'm tracking. We're tracking the sale inventory, the number of months there is of supply for sale, why don't we we track the rental inventory? Now, I've been keeping the stats in the background for over a year, but wanted to get at least a year's worth of data. And it now shows that we're at just 0.75 of a month 
of rental inventory. So that's based on the number of properties that are renting each week, how much supply there is in the market. And it would take three weeks basically to use up and rent out all of the supply of stock that's on market based on the rate that properties are currently renting. So we hit a at one point in my tracking back in April 2020, we hit two months nearly of supply and it's you know come down a lot even since then. This will be a good one to track. It's basically decreased 34% over the last year. So that's another way of understanding just how tight the market is. Now, property clock timing, this is where we look at how Perth's going and the Southwest is going compared to the other states for both houses and units. Now, the Southwest WA is labelled as being approaching a peak of the market. And this is re- released by Heron Todd White, very respected um, valuer and market researcher. And for the most part, I like to correlate it with what I'm seeing. So Perth's still labelled as being in a rising market, which is at nine o'clock. Southwest is in approaching peak of market, which is about you know 10 o'clock. And when we look at where Sydney and Melbourne are, they're supposedly still in a rising market. But I think that that is, uh, should be more around in approaching a peak of market from everything that I've seen. And I'll go through some of the stats on that in a minute from CoreLogic. Now, the national property clock for units still shows Perth in the rising market and Southwest in approaching peak of market. And the unit market typically trails the housing market by 12 to 18 months. Interestingly, Melbourne's still labelled as being around and starting of recovery. So very two-tier markets over east. Brisbane is around in a rising market. And uh, I can't even spot where Sydney is. Oh, there, Sydney's in a rising market, so doing better than uh, the Melbourne market. So potentially there's some value buying in Melbourne for units. And I think I'd feel more comfortable. I'm not sure if they're going to get their, their run on. And I think I'd be buying a unit in Perth if I had to choose which uh, city to buy a unit in. But now, when it comes to the Core Logic Index, and we had Tim Lawless on in December, really great to have a chat with him. I know we had uh, some, a fair bit of banter. At times I might have even spoken over him, according to some of our listeners. So um, I'll be certainly more mindful of um, that next time. But I had a lot of ideas I wanted to share, and I wasn't used to sharing my market update with someone. So hopefully Tim understands and we can have him back in uh, December next year to do an annual wrap-up. But uh, looking at the data from CoreLogic, it shows that Perth has the second lowest median house price of every capital city in Australia. Can you believe that Adelaide is higher? It's by 60 odd thousand dollars. So that is crazy to me in my mind. Um, and the only capital that is lower than us is uh, Darwin. So that just goes to show how crazily undervalued we are. At one stage in the past, we were the second highest median house price of any capital. And Brisbane, often I think we should be very on par with Brisbane. Brisbane's at 722,000, a good 210,000 higher than Perth's median. So Brisbane's been getting a lot of the attention uh, lately. And I'm asking the question, has Perth been forgotten despite its amazing fundamentals? And it appears that it, it, it hasn't had the confidence around it and it has been forgotten compared to a lot of the other capitals where more investor focus has been. And arguably, they've had artificial environments around their COVID. Um, they've had potentially 
much more growth than the fundamentals would suggest. And I'd be more worried about how they're going to come off when the interest rates uh, do start going up middle of this year towards the end of this year. And uh, I think I'll go into some more predictions a little later on. (laughs) I can get carried away. So what are some of the other factors affecting our market? Well, I introduced in my September update what is known as the economic clock. Now, it doesn't always move perfectly with its timing, but I'm predicting that we're somewhere between 12 and 1 o'clock at the moment, and we're coming up to the part of the economic clock where interest rates rise at 1 o'clock, share prices start falling at 2, which we've already seen some of, and we'll go through that in a minute. And then we see falling commodity prices at three. And then we're officially moving around into more of the recession bear phase after three o'clock. And that's when we would see falling overseas reserves and tighter money. So money's harder to get. And and that's when we would then see falling real estate values at six o'clock. So it can take quite a while to move around from our position somewhere between 12 and 1 o'clock to 6 o'clock where we'd see those falling real estate values. Now, when there's uncertainty in the share prices and also potentially, uh, so when there's uncertainty in the share prices, people put a lot of money into hard assets and that props up commodity prices, especially gold and other things. uh, And especially when there's uncertainty of uh, supply of commodities around the world for things like this uh, war that's going on in uh, the Ukraine and we're all you know worried about how much further Russia might go with things and what else may happen at the same time hopefully China stays out of things but when there's this uncertainty there's a big uh, swell if you will towards hard assets being um, you know gold silver property um, and you've, we've already seen that change in the share market so we'll take a look at that in a minute Now, when we consider our availability of finance and what has changed in that area? Well, rates have held steady since November 2020. The market, however, is now expecting rates to begin rising by the middle of this year. And the RBA is still looking for sustained wages growth in order to indicate that that inflation for wages and overall inflation is back in their target band. And that's when they've said that they'd likely increase the cash rate. But uh, the market and is expecting and has priced in a interest rate rises sooner. And the banks, there's talk among them that they may break the ice and raise rates before the RBA drops its official cash rate. So that's to be expected, you know, some point around, probably around the middle of the year to late of the year. I think if the federal government's got anything to do with it, they're going to push the RBA to hold off on raising rates until the election is over. I want to keep all of their ducks in a row to have maximum popularity. So, and I also think from everything that I've read that the increasing in interest rates is certainly going to be done in a tapered way, slow and steady to see the impacts of any increases. And with the amount of debt that especially is on the East Coast, Sydney and Melbourne, and a lot of people have uh, gone and extended themselves probably in Brisbane too. Um, It's not going to take much of a change to slow their markets further. 
And I'd think that with our relative affordability and relative higher wages to house prices, that uh, we're going to hold up really well in this. And, um, and we've got a good buffer, a good cushion compared to what could happen over east. So when we start then going deeper on the finance side to see what homeowner lending has been by each state, now you can see all my slides, all my graphs on our website. Uh, in the show notes, there'll be a link and you can go and see all the slides and the transcription. So when we look at WA, the homeowner lending has been drifting down slightly. Uh, we hit our peak somewhere around the middle of last year. And that has been the case for the majority of the states. But there's recently been a uptick in New South Wales and Victoria in home lending, a bit of an uptick in ACT and a slight upward trend in South Australia. So it would seem that our homeowner lending is holding pretty high, but it is slowly drifting downwards. Now, when we look at the investor lending by each state, WA has been slowly drifting upwards and has got a positive trend. It's looking like South Australia might be flattening a bit. Queensland could be flattening and Melbourne and Sydney have continued to accelerate upwards in investor lending. I think as rates start to increase and pull back, investors are going to look more for value and yield. And Perth could be the shining light that uh, will cut through and still make sense for investors to purchase with our higher rental yields uh, that'll and increasing further increasing rental prices are going to offset the interest rate increases. At least that's what I think can happen. When we look at our first home buyer lending by each state, it's been a downward trend for all states since the first time owners grants. So um, still relatively high numbers of first time buyers getting in because they want to get out of renting. Um, and we've, when we look at it, the, the levels compared to historically, we're still very high um, compared to historical levels. So even though the trend is down, it's uh, still relatively high. And especially when, you know, it's going to cost more to rent in most areas than it is to buy, that motivation is going to continue to have as many people get out of renting as possible. But we've also got a lot of more people coming into renting into the state, as uh, I've mentioned previously with the migrants. So when we then look at how the stock market has been performing since over the, the last quarter, since my last update, there was a big shock to the market on the 27th of January, which was one of the biggest drops that has been in recent years. And that was mainly in relation to the Fed's res, uh, reserve signal that they were going to start increasing their interest rates. And they've got very high inflation over there and rising bond yields. So they, in a very different uh, economy to where ours is at, and um, that shock did get felt here. And uh, the market did rebound after that in, in the month or so after. But then just as we've, uh, as the share market started to find some confidence, we've then had this Ukraine crisis, which wiped a huge amount. I think it was $76 billion or something from our market in a single day and that was the 24th of February so that's started to rebound since but it's looking like the trend could remain downwards depending on what happens with these two big 
factors, the US uh, economy and whether what's going to go on with this Ukraine war that's happening. So when money uh, starts to, when the share market starts to turn and it's looking like it potentially may have, I'm no share share or stock expert, but I like to look at it as to how it can impact our property markets. Now, when people have uncertainty and they're not getting the returns in the share market, they move to harder assets like gold and silver and hard property. And I think that's going to benefit property in the shorter term um, ahead. Now, when we check out how our state economy is doing, I've got the updated stats as of the 17th of February, and we can see we've got one of our lowest unemployment levels, actually the lowest of all states at 3.7%. Now, when you talk about fundamentals, that's an incredible feather in the cap of uh, Mark McGowan and what he has done for the state, whether you like his uh, politics or not, we're in great shape. And all of our exports are still holding very well. State final demand is up at one of the highest levels, uh, much higher than the last quarter. And so everything is going uh, very, very, very well at a fundamental state level. And I think that's what is going to be important uh, going into this next few years. Now, when we look at the economic forecasts for WA, we're well and truly ahead of our unemployment rate forecasts. Even the revised rate for 21-22 was 4.25. We're a full percent lower than that. So it was predicted to go slightly lower in unemployment in the next three years. So it'll be interesting to see just what our economy might look like if we go even lower than 3.25. You know, we could be having record unemployment for quite a while, and that's going to be very attractive to migrants to come into the state. Now, I also picked up in the estimates and the forecasts that they're expecting our state final demand and gross state product to be quite down in the coming years, next two two years or three years. I don't know the reason for that. And maybe they're thinking that on a global level, the need for our resources is going to taper off, which I guess would make sense when we relate this back to the overall economic clock. Um, But I think for the shorter to medium term, with uncertainty of supply of iron ore in other parts of the world and with what's going on with the war, we'd have to be one of the safest places to get resources from. So that could certainly benefit us in the shorter term. Now, that brings me to our iron ore price and why probably we've had such a rebounding in the quarter since I last looked at it. It hit its low at something like 80 odd dollars a ton, US dollars a ton. We're now back up to $141 a ton. And when we look back over recent years, that's significantly higher still um, for price. And we did hit nearly 220 dollars a ton at one point, crazy highs um, around the middle of middle of 2021, um, middle of last year. And then it's nicely rebounded. And I guess hope, hopefully we can keep that price pretty high with all the other uncertainty that's going on in the world. Now, the reason I obviously touch on iron ore is that it's one of our main exports and a huge driver of our economy in our state. 
So tips to survive and thrive. And I've updated this since the last quarter, I guess tempering my actions to consider on on, uh, previous quarters. So I'd focus now on buying quality without any major negatives. And that's my advice all the time. But uh, I think investors need to hear this now more than ever. And homeowners too. Don't go making the trade-offs on location, especially, or any of those big, larger negatives that in a slower market are going to prove to make a property much harder to to sell and not have the demand around it for rental or or sale when and if you have to rent or sell your property. And people often make these trade-offs, for instance, buying on that busier road or buying next to a, a big negative now and then regret it later and they do it because they feel like they've missed out on a lot of properties they feel like they just want to get a place and it's a trade-off that's not worth making so i'm just just a strong reminder not to to do that there's still really great value buying uh, across the market in my opinion with exceptional yields on offer so be selective buy properties that have quality without those negatives and i think you're going to uh, still do very well in the coming five to ten years now where to buy well that's a a trade secret if you will <laughs> we've done a lot of research we've got our buyers pack that's at a very low cost which can help you recommend suburbs to buy at your specific price point get in touch uh, through our website there's a link in the show notes and uh, we can get you some info on what the buyers pack includes includes not just the web recommendations, but also a offer example conditions and a, you know, criteria to overlay over your purchases so that you're not ending up with those negatives that will affect the value ongoingly. Now, I think uh, looking at the overall market, most properties in outer areas and unit complexes are now at or above their low point. So values are back to what pe- most people have paid now in uh, across the whole market if not further ahead so if you've wanted to get out of an asset and you're worried about how much longer we've got left in this cycle then now's a good time to consider getting out if it doesn't make sense for you to hold it over the next five to ten years it's probably good timing to look at that and choose it in line with your lease end dates and we had a good episode a few episodes back about you know, is now a good time to sell or ever. So check that one out if you missed it. Next, um, definitely continue to increase rents when you can because the rental market is uh, increasing and continuing to give um, us the chance to get better yields and just needs to be handled and managed well so the tenants understand that what the market rate is and that they'd have to pay similar amount if they went and moved and who wants all that cost of moving if you can uh, stay put. So my crystal ball, probably one of the most important parts to this update, I've uh, revised my crystal ball um, a bit. So overall, similar theme, but I've uh, being our first update for 2022, put a lot more thought into what's ahead. I think our rents will continue to increase over the next six to 12 months, which I've mentioned earlier in the update, especially with the borders opening before some easing of pressure when tenants more tenants move out into their newly built homes, um, but more want to keep getting out of renting. So there's that, there is that pressure. We haven't had as many investors into the market as we otherwise have, so that's kept uh, availability of rentals low. But more investors are going to continue to buy 
and they're being attracted to the relatively low prices and higher rental yields compared to the other states. We've got really good growth prospects, I think, for the next five to 10 years, not just focusing on the shorter term, but we're going to have a very different 10 years ahead than the last 10 years that we've had. At the moment, when we had our last downturn, we were coming off of a massive boom. We had to go and uh, and have a, a, a lull period for a while. We haven't had a massive boom this time. So even if things cool off a bit with interest rates over the coming one to two years, I think it's only going to be a pause for us. I don't think we're going to see the strong negatives that you might see in Sydney and Melbourne. And I think with our fundamentals being so strong, people are going to wake up to us at some point and we're not going to be the forgotten ones uh, after that. And I think it could be the immigrants that see this value, that see our crazy low unemployment compared to the other states. And I think this could be the big surprise that hasn't been factored in to most forecasts by the bank and other economists. And as my episode uh, back at episode 62 odd would tell you, can be a very big impact from the borders opening. So go back and listen to that episode if you missed it. Interest rates are likely to rise and it'll take some of that demand out of the market, which I mentioned, and it'll hurt, I think, the higher median house price cities over east the most. I'm expecting 10 to 15% growth for our inner and highly desirable areas this year and 5 to 10% growth for most outer areas, with exceptions. Obviously, when you've got higher supply, you haven't got the demand around it, you're not going to get that. 5 to 10% is more going to be 0 to 5%. And uh, supply and demand always has a way and its effect on prices. So one of the things that we've got coming up this quarter, we've got our federal election likely to happen. We should have the state budget, uh, the national federal budget released before that. We can start to weigh up, uh, is there going to be any lines drawn in the sand between the two major parties, Labor and Liberal, is there going to be any hot topics uh, to vote on or is uh, ScoMo just going to play the safe game and go with his, refer to his record of getting us through COVID? So we've got that ahead in the next quarter, which will be interesting. It's always good to see where they're going to spend their money and how that might influence our markets. So I'll be coming to you in June, um, June, July with my next update and uh going to be an interesting time between now and then also with our border opening or open and we will probably have a pretty rough few months learning to live with COVID like the other states have but I'm hoping that that will be a blip on the radar and I feel like if we're not prepared for it now when are we going to be uh, but I think there'll be a lot of positives getting back to normality too on the other side of that and I can't wait to start thinking about travelling, maybe when uh, some of this uncertainty around the rest of the world drops and some of the country's tourism industries can get back to normality too. So it's going to be an exciting quarter ahead, expecting good things for our market, interesting things at the federal level, and uh, probably a pretty rough COVID period. So for further help, if you're considering sale, make sure you get a complimentary appraisal. You can go to our website, investorsedge.com.au slash appraisal. You can join my property investor update. That's investorsedge.com.au slash join. We can, we'll can we send you suburb data, suburb reports uh, every six months on your suburbs of interest. We've also got other events and invites that we send out on there as well as the podcast each week. And if you do want to look at our investor support services for the buyer's pack and have a bit of a chat with us to get some direction, 
you can go to investorsedge.com.au slash strategy. So thanks for joining me for this market update. I hope it's been of help and value to you and I will catch you on the next one. Thank you.